Jesus, thank you for your love for your people, that you do these things that we call amazing and miracles, you call the kingdom, you call everyday life, you call faith. Um, thank you for the work of, of John and Tom. They're just, their faithful work of getting your word into the hands of people and the stories that come. And for Mike's story um, of receiving one of these Bibles and how your word changed his life and then how you, you show and you bless people just continually, like you've blessed the man who was on that outreach team. Um, you've blessed today Tom and John who, who are in this ministry and get to hear more testimony of your goodness for your people. Um, you've blessed Mike. You've blessed our body because we get to receive this good stuff from you to hear how you work. And so, Lord, we thank you, and we just offer our praise up to you. Um, we praise you today, again, through our word, through our testimony through our thanksgiving to you, Lord. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I left my Bible under my chair. So this morning, we're going to continue just in this um, theme of praise and thanksgiving, and we're going to be looking at, at Ephesians chapter 1. And just to review a little bit, we've been talking about moving from a church that's planted to a church that's rooted. And that doesn't have anything to do with time. That doesn't have anything to do with numbers. That has everything to do with a mindset, a spirit that we bring about being rooted in God's truth and his gospel and living in the kingdom all the time as a church. Uh, it's not about having a lot of programs and a lot of that stuff, although that, that stuff's good, but it's about a mindset. It's about a spirit of being rooted in him. And so that's what we're talking about. So as we're looking at the word, we're looking particularly at those passages that talk about his bride, us, his church, and, and, and what, what it's to look like, what, what the word says that it's to look like. And that is a picture of, of a rooted church. And so we're going to continue on that. We, we've, looked at, we've looked at some structural things with the church, like we've looked at elders, we've looked at deacons, and today we're going to be looking at the church's identity, the church's identity, who we are and what we're meant to do. And it's very simple. Before we dive into the text, four assumptions that we've been talking about as we go through this. The first one is, is that as a church, as people that are part of the church, we cannot love the head of the church, Christ, and hate the body. It all goes together. You cannot love the head and hate the body. Uh, assumption two is that the church is a means to an end, but it is not the end. Christ is the end. Assumption three, we will at all costs be Christ-centered. We will at all costs be Christ-centered. And four, we will not be driven by consumerism or numbers. So those are those four assumptions we've been talking about. Just they'll con You'll continue to hear those pop up. So Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And if you want to follow along with the translation that I'm using, which is the, uh, the New Living Translation, it's on the back of the bulletin, that same translation. Um, now, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and we're going to start a little bit before that, actually, when we read it. It's one huge run-on sentence, okay? So let's read it together. Let's read it together, and it's, it's one huge run-on sentence. And um, it doesn't appear to be one huge run-on sentence in your scripture because our editors have gone through and spaced it out nicely for us and put periods in in capital letters. But when Paul wrote this, he wrote it 
just as one big, long, wrong, grammatically incorrect sentence, but there's a reason. There's a reason why he did that. So let's read it together. Ephesians 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So he's warming up here, right? And then he's going to start in on this one big sentence, which I'm not going to do in one breath. I wish I could for effect, but I'm not. I tried. (sighs) Twice. (laughs) Didn't get very far either time. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Now, why did Paul write this in one mess of a sentence? I I don't know for sure, but I have some ideas. Um, on the back of your bulletin, underneath that text, there's a quote from a great theologian, John Stott. And it says, a gateway. It's talking about this, these verses, 3 through 14. A gateway, a golden chain, a kaleidoscope, a snowball, a racehorse, an operatic overture, and the flight of an eagle. All these metaphors in their different ways describe the impression of color, movement, and grandeur which the sentence makes on the reader's mind. This stuff mattered to Paul. He was really excited when he wrote this stuff. Did you ever just, you get down and there's something that you want to tell somebody or um, I mean, just even John's spirit this morning, do you sense just the passion and just the joy and it just, it just comes and comes and comes and comes, right? Or you're writing and you, you can't write fast enough because your thoughts, you just can't wait to get to the next thing because you just can't wait to, to write this thing down and give it to somebody. And, and I sense in Paul that, that that's how he was when he wrote this, this letter to the church in Ephesus. Like he was excited to tell them who they were, to remind them who they were. So he just goes, grammar be darned, you know? I'm going forward because I am so excited. I am so excited to share this news with you. I like the, the metaphor of a racehorse, you know? The, the horse comes out and it just goes. It just goes and goes and goes, you know? And it's just, it's just going and it's beautiful. And it's beautiful. So who cares about the grammar? Um, 
I also thought of like um, somebody riding a horse, completely different analogy, almost like a Paul Revere kind of thing, like with this good news and they, they ride up to people and they've got this amazing news to share that they know is going to blow them away. And you know when you have really good things to share with people, like how excited you are, like when you're the one that has the good stuff to share and you're just like, bah! and you just can't wait. And if somebody tries to jump in and share it, you're like really demoralized. And so, so it's just like the person riding into town on a horse with this amazing news and they hop off the horse and everybody's like, whoa. And maybe they didn't even catch it all, but, but, but they caught the spirit of what was being said, that this is really good. I'm not sure I caught all of it, but it's really, really good. And the same thing is here in this passage. Like Paul just has this, he's just welling up with goodness that he just, he just goes. Now oftentimes when I preach, and I don't know if you've picked up on this or pay attention, if you haven't, that's fine, but when I preach, I usually come with a manuscript. I type out everything that I would say, like almost verbatim. Now I don't read it verbatim, some, some portions I might if it's really important and I don't want to mess it up, but I'll write out my whole sermon and it's usually four single-spaced pages, maybe four and a half, something like that. And, uh, and then, so when I'm, when I'm writing my sermon, it, it's kind of becoming part of me. It's like I'm getting it because I'm actually going through the discipline of writing the whole thing out. And, and that just is what works for me. And some people use note cards and some people just write out notes on a piece of paper, but that's what works for me. Um, but today I thought, you know, this is a different kind of passage. I can't, I can't just write it out. Like, it's too limiting. You know, it's too exciting to just, you know, have my, my manuscript in front of me and using that as my guide. I've just got to go with it, right? Because this is an exciting passage. And so I'm going to do that this morning. I don't have my four-page single-typed manuscript to go to because I think God wants to reveal things through us together this morning just how the church in Ephesus would have received the letter um, when, Paul, when Paul brought it to him. Um, there's two ways to look at this passage. It's very theologically rich. It's very theologically rich. You could take verses 3, 4, and 5 alone and preach for two weeks on it. I mean, there's all kinds of theological implications that, and questions that might arise because it's so deep. Paul is saying so much. Let me just give you an example. Um, verse 4, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Okay, before the world, he chose, okay, so then we start getting into these theological, what does it mean that he chose us, but he didn't choose other people, and we get into these theological conversations, which are fine to have. Those are conversations that have been had for a long time. Um, am I chosen? Am I, am I not chosen? Am I, I think I am. I go to church every Sunday. So th- there's a lot of things, that, and that's just one example that we could teach on in depth, but we're not going to take that approach today. We're going to just receive the joy of the letter, okay? We're going to receive that, and, and those theological things are good. We don't want to dumb down ourselves and say, well, we don't want to explore theological things. It's just that we're going to look at it from a joy perspective today instead of a a deep theology perspective. Is that all right? Okay, good. Um, So, receive this letter this morning as if you were receiving it from Paul because we are the church, okay? So I'm going to read it again and... um, and just receive it as if somebody just wrote in here, interrupted my message, and just told you the best news that you could hear, and you're blown away. And you're blown away, okay? We're going to start in verse 3. 
All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without, without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. This is a lot of good stuff, right? This is, this is a lot of stuff. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Everything. For those of you that are saying, not everything, no. Don't let that come in now. He makes everything work out according to his plan. There are no exceptions to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. God, thank you for your word to us today that this is for your church in Ephesus, but this is for your believers in the church today, Lord, at Cornerstone. Lord, let our hearts receive what you have for us in this so that we might turn and praise you and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. He blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Can you conceive of that? No, neither can I. He blessed us. He gave to us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. That is awesome. I don't even know if I can name a couple spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. I can think of some. Um, I, I know I've had personal experiences. I know that Jesus saved me through his grace. I know that he saves me every day. Um, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. If the passage stopped there, that would be pretty all-encompassing but there's a lot more. He made the world, it says, you know, before time began, right? Even before he made the world, God loved us. So he made this place. He gave us this world. And he loved us. He loved us. He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This should blow you away. We live in a world of great judgment. We judge, we are judged, we judge when people judge us to get back with them for judging us. God creates this whole world, sin enters it, and he still chose us to be holy and without fault in his eyes, which means not that he's blind or stupid, but that he loves us a lot, and that's actually how he sees us. That's actually how he sees his kids. He doesn't just pretend that he sees us that way. He sees us that way. 
He decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. He brought us to himself. He did it. He chose us and pulled us to be his sons and daughters. And you know what? He chose it before we were born. He knew what he wanted to do. He chose us. His plan happens. He adopted us. We are part of his family. That is our identity. We don't earn it. Some of you think you might have to. We all do that on some level. We don't earn it. He chose us and decided in advance to adopt us into his family. And he brought himself, he brought us to himself through Jesus Christ. Earlier on in the passage, it says that we are united with Christ. I didn't put it up there. But we find out later on that we're united with him because of what God the Father did. Like, we didn't unite ourselves with him. He united us with his son. He did it for us. He poured out his glorious grace on us. He poured it out. He didn't drip it on us. He didn't give it to us conditionally. He poured it out. His grace, it's everywhere. It's coming down. He poured his grace on us. Oh, and by the way, he is rich in kindness. He does good things for his kids. He is so rich in kindness. And he's rich in grace, which we know because he poured it out on us. He poured it out on us. And if that weren't enough, he purchased our freedom. He bought the freedom of a bunch of sinners with his own resources. And it wasn't just any resource that he used. It was the most valuable resource he had. He didn't say, well, I've got a bunch of grace that I'm pouring out over here, so I'll give some of my grace to purchase their freedom. No. No, all that grace is for us. And he'll use his son as the resource through which he will purchase for us our freedom. And, and we're sinners, by the way, and he still sees us as pure and spotless and beautiful. He forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us. Showered it on us. He didn't withhold it for any reason. Because he forgave our sins, he showers his kindness on us. And in addition to that, he, sh- he gives us wisdom. He showers his wisdom and understanding on us. So not only am I going to purchase your freedom for you, but I'm going to give you this thing that you can use for my glory. And it's called wisdom. And it's called understanding. And I give it to you as a gift. Not because you deserve it, but because I love you. Because I love you. So here's my wisdom and my understanding and my grace and my kindness and your freedom. And I give it all to you because, because you're perfect. Because that's how I see you. And why wouldn't I want to give that to you? And then there's this mysterious plan, which some people don't understand, because it's just confusing and complicated, and the world has said that's ridiculous, and they don't get it. They don't want to get it, and their hearts are hard. But he says to you, I'm just going to tell you what it is. It's not even really a mystery, because I'm telling you flat out what it is, right? So he's got this plan regarding his son, and he's going to tell us what it is. 
He will bring everything, this is the plan, everything together under the authority of Christ. We live in a broken world. And there's a lot of powers out there that control things, and it frustrates us. Maybe in little ways, maybe in big ways. But he's saying, my plan is that my son who died for you, everything is going to come under his authority. At some point, these powers that are controlling you, that make your life miserable because there's sin in the world, they're going to be gone because everything is coming under Christ. Everything is coming under Christ. Everything. Our thoughts, our actions, big business, dictator governments over here, abuse of children, abuse of women, parents who abuse their kids, people who are mistreated at work. All of these things are going to come under the authority of Christ, and it's a really good place to be. We know that because he poured out his grace and his kindness and his mercy and his wisdom and his understanding on us, right? And he gave us freedom. All of that is coming under Christ. And by the way, he's the one who united us with Christ. He's the one who did that work. Oh, and there's this inheritance for us. There's this inheritance for us, right? As his kids, that we already get to experience now. Like it's called his kingdom and there's beauty and there's love and there's grace and there's kindness and there's wisdom and there's all these things part of this. There's this inheritance that we get, right? And again, he chose us before time began. His plan never fails. He chose us before time began. Before time that we can conceive of, he chose us because he loved us. And he saw us then as pure as spotless, and he sees us now as pure and spotless. And you're thinking, but I'm not pure and spotless because I've done this, this, and this. You're pure and spotless because you've received his love, and you've received his grace, and you've received his gift. His plan won't fail. In addition to all that, he makes his truth accessible. It said the Jews and the Gentiles got his truth. His truth is there. Do you remember, this is going back, oh my goodness, probably more than a year ago, we talked about this passage in Matthew where um, um, it talks about uh, Jesus comes and he's like slinging this sword, right? And we're like, whoa, and it divides mother from daughter and mother from son and it divides family. We're like, whoa, that's a really hard passage. Like, why does his truth divide like that? And we looked at that passage and what we found was that what it was was an act of grace. Like his sword is truth. And when it says that he didn't come to bring peace, it actually means he, he came to throw his truth like candy from the top of a fire truck in a parade, remember? And the kids all run out and they scarf it up and it's just like candy for everyone and all the parents are going, oh, this is too much candy. We're not gonna be able to eat this, right? Well, it's the same thing. His truth comes, and it's just like he throws it out. He just, it's haphazardly. He doesn't say, truth for you, truth for you, truth for you. No, he throws it out. And we can receive it or not, but he gives it to us. And that's what that passage means. And, and yeah, his truth does divide because some people choose to follow it, and other people in the same family choose not to follow it. But he brings his truth to us, to everyone. He uses the Gideons to bring his truth, Right? 
And so he slings his truth around. He throws his truth around. That's grace. He identified us as his own. He identified us as his own. Um, another story that just popped into mind. I, it's not in my manuscript because I didn't write a manuscript for today. I told this story before too. I was, wor- I was living in Colorado and I did a drive along with the Denver Police Department and we went to break up this party at the, at the University of Denver. And uh, I was with the cops and uh, a little awkward, but the guy who called to break up the party was really fired up and I looked like a college guy to him. And he starts screaming at me about these college kids and the police officer said, uh, he's with me. And the guy went, oh, sorry. You know, he needed the police to do what he wanted to do to break up this party and he just thought I was one of the college kids, right? But the police officer said, no, he, he's with me tonight, so back off. And that's what Jesus says. So Jesus says to the enemy, he says, they're with me. Like, they, they identify with me because I've united them with Christ. They're with me. They may not look like they're with me. You may not think they're with me, but I see them as pure and spotless. And you might see all their sin, and you might see all their badness, but they're with me. So back off. This is my son. This is my daughter. He gave us the Holy Spirit. So he's God the Father. He sacrifices his son, and he gives us this gift of the Holy Spirit, which, which leads us into all truth, into his truth. And through the Holy Spirit, he guarantees this inheritance that we already are tasting. He guarantees the inheritance. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Courtney and I were watching a movie last night, and it was a political kind of movie, and somebody was confronting the president of the United States, who was Michael Douglas, which is kind of hard to, to picture that. And, um, and they were working on this political deal, and she said, you better not back down on this. You, you better guarantee that what you're saying you're going to do in Congress is what you're going to do because if you back out, then we're going to do this thing over here and it's going to affect your re-election chances. They're playing politics and she's, you, you guarantee to me. Did she walk away fully guaranteed? No. They're humans. Are we guaranteed of this inheritance to us? Yes. It's a guarantee. Again, he purchased us to be his people. He bought us at a great price, which should make us feel pretty valued, pretty valued. You may have experienced this. When somebody values what you do so much, and you may, maybe you don't think it's that a big deal what you do, but somebody values it. That makes you feel pretty good. Maybe it's a skill that you have and someone is just really appreciative for it. Maybe somebody pays you money to go do something as part of your job. Maybe it's a lot of money. That feels pretty good to get paid a lot of money to do something that you do for some people. He purchased us at a great price. We should feel honored. He loves us. Now, look at all these pronouns. 
He blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He loved us. He chose us. He adopted us. He brought us to himself. He pours out his glorious grace on us. He purchased our freedom. He forgave our sins. He showered his kindness on us. He shared wisdom, wisdom and understanding on us. He revealed to us his mysterious plan. He united us with Christ. We have received an inheritance from God. He chose us before time began. He makes his truth accessible to you. He identified you, and he gave you the Holy Spirit, all of that being plural because he's talking about you Gentiles, right? So again, it's still... It seems like it's you, you, but it's not. It's you, people, collectively, so plural. And he guarantees his inheritance to us, and he purchased us to be his people. Paul's saying this to a group of people. He's saying it to his church, to God's church. He's not there saying, well, yeah, you fall short, and well, so do you. But to those over, you know, I mean, like, no, this is the church. These are people saying, we are the church. We are the bride of Christ. And if we identify ourselves as the bride, then collectively, sorry, I've been spitting a lot today. This is very exciting. I'm sure the lighting just amplifies it for you all too. Jake, do you need a Kleenex to wipe anything? Um, he's speaking to his church. A church is made up of individuals, yes, but God gives his goodness to his people collectively. That's how confident God is in his plan. We don't trust people that much. God loves us and sees us as beautiful, so he speaks this way to his people and talks inclusively of us as a body, as his bride. All of this is for us, for Cornerstone, for Ephesus, for the Big C Church. But this morning, it's for us, for us, because this is where we are together, worshiping him together here. So it, God sees us as individuals, but he sees us as a church. And how powerful is that? That we together walk in this stuff. That we together receive this. What if we actually interacted with each other like we had all received this and knew it and believed it, as Tim talked about earlier. Believing these things that they've learned. Like actually believing who Christ is. If we believe this stuff corporately, wow. Holy cow. That, that's powerful. That, that's kingdom. That's magnifying God's name, right? And then, all interspersed throughout this passage, what's our response? Look in verses 3, 6, 12, and 14. All praise to God. Praise God. Praise and glory to God. Praise and glorify Him. Why? Well, because of all this. That's the only response possible. That's, that's it. I've, we could say, well, I don't deserve that. Not yet, anyway. I've got some things I need to work out. That's not even an option for Paul when he writes this. That's not even an option. You are the church. You will receive this goodness corporately. You will praise him because you know nothing else because it is so good. Because you're chosen and loved, and showered with grace, mercy, kindness, wisdom, understanding, on and on and on, Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Christ, all of these things are yours because he loves us. Because he loves us. Amen? Amen. I'm sweating. Is anybody else sweating or is it just me? Um, So what does all of this mean? What does it all mean? God's plan from before the world began was that he would be glorified 
as Father, Son, and Spirit. That was his plan. That he would be glorified because he's good. He did all of this stuff for us, but ultimately for his glory. Because we can't but respond in any other way but to praise his name for his goodness. He wants his name to be glorified. As a church, as his people, we we do lots of things, and that's good. We do lots of things. And we hope that those things praise and glorify his name, but sometimes we might get lost in that. Sometimes we might get lost in that. But everything that we do, us, we, our, collectively, who we are, God's church is for his praise and glory. And certainly, there are other effects of his praise and glory. I mean, we do transform the world around us. That's pretty cool, too. But primarily, for his praise, when we give him the glory and praise for all of this, the world around us will be transformed. We don't have to programmatize everything. We don't have to beat ourselves over the head for failing to to transform it. When we do this, we will transform it. We will transform it. So the place that we turn now is to worship because that is our response to this letter, right? That's who we are. So let's, let's stand up and worship him.